Welcome to Nativ, everyone. Uh, we're picking up on Chapter 8 of the Laws of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah concerning the worship of idols. Uh, this week's chapter, uh, again, we're in Chapter 8 of 12. This week's chapter, we're talking about the status of objects and how can something, how do we determine if something is an idol or not? Um, can something created by Hashem without any influence by people be considered an idol? Um, can I pick up uh, Miss Sandy's ink pen and declare her object that's an ink pen as an idol? Uh, no. Um, we can't take objects that belong to someone else and declare them to be idols. Neither can we take things that Hashem has made, uh, like mountains, uh, water, uh, like bodies of water, uh, forests of trees, uh, stones in their natural condition, and so on and so forth. We can't declare those things to be idols. For example, you may, uh, you may come across a culture that venerates a stream of water and says, this, is, uh, this stream of water is our deity. Well, a stream of water can never be a deity uh, because it's made by Hashem. So it belongs to Hashem. It doesn't belong to people. So it can't be a deity. Now, if the person takes a bowl of the water from the stream and now he declares this bowl of water to be an idol then it has a forbidden status because it's now become an object of worship or unclean worship uh, for that matter. So we'll go into the text and uh, if you guys have any questions, we'll do our best to, uh, to work it out. Anything that we can't answer here today, I'll be happy to take it to the rabbi and uh, bring the answers uh, back as soon as possible. Uh, those of you that are online, thank you for watching. Um, if you have any questions from online, please feel free to put them in the comments section on the bottom of the video. And uh, here we go. So chapter 8, number 1. It is permitted to derive benefit from anything that has not been manipulated by man or that was not made by man even though it was worshipped as a deity. Therefore, it is permitted to benefit from mountains, hills, trees, provided they were planted originally with the intent of harvesting their fruit, uh, springs which provide water, um, springs which provide water for many people and animals despite their having been worshipped by pagans. That it's, uh, those streams are permitted. So it is permitted to partake of fruits that were worshipped in the place where they grow and to partake of such an animal. So we'll stop there for a moment. Uh, we read in the past that uh, fruits or meats that are offered to idols, they are forbidden. So what it's talking about here is if there's a fruit tree that was planted for the purpose of harvesting the fruit, uh, you guys remember the, the trees that are called asherim? Well, uh, an asherah or asherim are trees that are planted uh, specifically for the use of idolatry. So if a tree was planted specifically for the use of harvesting its fruit, and then people begin to worship the fruit of it or the limbs or make it into an asherah, it's technically not forbidden because it was planted specifically for the use of harvesting fruit. So therefore, um, here it's talking about the fruits if they're worshipped in the place where they grow. For another, in other words, they're still on the tree, uh, that was planted for the purpose of harvesting fruit, even though people worship the fruit that's on the tree, it is permitted to eat it because it's connected to the tree um, and it's not uh, technically in the status of idolatry. Um, also with the animals, um, 
If an animal in its natural state is designated for the use of idolatry, uh, it is permitted for uh, it's permitted for use to eat uh, if it's slaughtered properly, the hide and everything, anything you would use the animal for, it is permitted. But the moment that the person uh, that designated the animal for idolatry does something to it uh, in the honor of the idolatry, once he does something physically to the animal, it is no longer permitted. So if he puts an earmark on it or if he slaughters the animal halfway and only cuts one of the pipes, the animal is now uh, has a status of um, uh, asur, which is not permitted. Uh, the word asur means not permitted. The word mutar is permitted. So that's, these words may, may come up periodically. So the animal, if it's uh, been done something to it, um, it's not permitted for use anymore. Um, it has a, sti- a status of idol or accoutrement of idolatry. Uh, but again, even though it may have been designated for idolatry and it hasn't, hadn't, hasn't had anything done to it physically, it's still permitted for any other use. Okay. Let's see here. Um, needless to say, it is permitted to partake of an animal that was set aside for the purpose of idol worship. It is permitted regardless of whether it was set aside to be worshipped or to be sacrificed to another deity. When do the above statements uh, permitting the use of an animal apply? When a deed involving it was not committed for the sake of idol worship. If, however, any deed whatsoever was committed involving it, it is forbidden. For example, like we just talked about, if uh, one of the signs uh, was cut, which is one of the pipes, the food pipe or the windpipe in the, in the neck was cut, it is, now, uh, it is now forbidden because one of those signs were cut uh, for the sake of idolatry. Should one exchange it for an idol, it is forbidden. Um, so in other words, uh, someone took an animal and traded it for an idol. It was used as currency to purchase an idol. Now the animal is forbidden. Similarly, it is forbidden if it was exchanged for an article that was itself exchanged for an idol. So a second-hand exchange. So, um, so, yes, since the latter article is considered to be payment for an idol. So, um, if there was a, like a golden necklace that was an accoutrement uh, on an idol, uh, used uh, for venerating the idol, to take the gold chain and exchange it for the animal, or the, the necklace, whatever you call it, um, now the animal is still forbidden, even though it wasn't directly exchanged for the idol, it was exchanged for something used towards idolatry. So, um, when, the, when does the above apply? Regarding one's own animal, if, however, one slaughtered a colleague's animal for the sake of a false deity, or exchanged it for an idol, it does not become forbidden. Because a person cannot cause an article that does not belong to him to become forbidden. So like I was saying a minute ago about Miss Sandy's pen, I can't pick up her pen like this and declare that it's uh, my uh, deity, that that it's something I'm going to worship because it's not my pen. It belongs to someone else. Uh, Halakha number two. 
when a person bows down to water, which was lifted up by a wave. So he's standing on the beach, watching the waves come in, and decides, oh, I really like this wave. I want to make it my, my deity. As strange as it sounds, right? <laughs> he can't do that, though. It's um, like uh, Rabbi Gordon would say, it's mashuga. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Yeah, a little out of his mind. So, so when a person bows down to water which is lifted up by a wave, he, he does not cause the water to become forbidden. If, however, he picked water up with his hands and bowed to it, it becomes forbidden. So if rocks, which had slid down from a mountain, were worshipped in the place where they landed, they are permitted, since they were not manipulated by man. But let's say the person... <laughs> The person chooses to pick up the stones, put them on the wagon, take them to his house, whatever, or even right there on the same site, pick them up, rearrange them into a certain fashion, and uh, begin to worship those stones. Uh, they now have a status of forbidden because they, uh, he manipulated this pile of stones to make it into something to venerate. So be careful when you're moving stones not to venerate them, okay? <laughs> That's a bad joke. Nobody here venerates stones. So, uh, <laughs> you never know. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sir? Yes. That's a good question. The question is if the person takes, uh, we're going to do a, uh, what they call a calva colmer here. Okay, the, the, we're going to take one law and look at it to examine the question that you have. So, if a, uh, something we learned earlier is going to help us with this. So, the question is if a person takes the water out of the ocean or, or the body of water in a bowl or in, with his hands and bows down to worship it, the water becomes forbidden for, for use because it now has the status of idolatry. So the question was, if the person takes that forbidden water and puts it back into the body of water, does it make the body of water idolatrous? Correct? Am I explaining this right? Okay, so in the past, uh, in the past we learned that with a, with a situation like this, there's no, when the water that's forbidden goes back into the body of water, there's no way to tell, there's no way to designate the forbidden water from the not forbidden water. And the, and the not forbidden water, um, it completely, uh, what do you say, nullifies the forbidden water because there's no way to separate it. So therefore, the body of water that's in question would not be forbidden. It would nullify More or less, yeah. It would nullify it in the sense that you can't separate it out and, and um, designate the idolatrous water. So, it's a good question. So, Halakha number three. Uh, when a Jew uh, stands up a brick with the intention of bowing down to it, uh, which that's a terrible thing. <laughs> the bricks are not the gods of Israelites. Uh, Hashem is the God of Israelites and for, every, for the God of everyone for that matter. 
But when a Jew stands up a brick with the intention of bowing down to it, but does not bow down to it, then a uh, it says uh, a nochri, um, a, a Gentile, an idolatrous Gentile, comes and bows down to it, uh, benefit from the brick becomes forbidden. Even though the Jew stood it up, he didn't worship it. He decided, uh, whatever he could, didn't have time to do it, or he decided he wasn't going to do it, or whatever the case, the idolatrous non-Jew comes along and he bows down to it. It makes the brick forbidden for use, because standing it up is considered to be a deed. So one person stood it up uh, from its regular place with the intention of uh, making it into some sort of deity. Even though he didn't uh, venerate it as a deity yet, the person that sees it, the idolater who comes and sees it standing up and bows down to it, um, puts it into the status of idolatry. Similarly, if he stands up and uh, stands an egg up, and a Gentile, an idolatrous Gentile, comes and bows down to it, it becomes forbidden. So, the standing. Standing it up, the object, whether it's a brick or an egg or anything else, uh, with the intention of idolatrous worship, to be bowed down to it, um, even though the person doesn't bow and then an, and an idolater comes and bows to it, it makes the status forbidden. Um, if one cuts off a gourd or the like and bows down to it, it is forbidden. If you were, uh, a few minutes ago, we talked about the fruit that was on the tree that's in its place. It's not forbidden. But if a, you take a, a person takes a gourd and removes it from the plant and then sets it up, now it's forbidden. Um, even when one bows down to only half the gourd and the other half is still attached to it, it is forbidden because of the doubt involved. Uh, we call this a safek, a doubt. So, um, perhaps the second half is considered to be a handle for the half which was worshipped. So, a person takes a watermelon and sets it up, and he has the intent that only half of it is the idol, and the other half is not, for whatever reason, because there's a doubt on what he's, if, what he's using the other half for concerning the idol. The whole melon or gourd becomes uh, uh, forbidden. So watch it around the watermelons and gourds. <laughs> okay, so um, it is forbidden to benefit from a tree which was planted for the purpose of being worshipped. Uh, this is the Asherah that the Torah mentions. When a tree which, has, which had been planted previously was pruned and carved for the sake of idol worship, even if it was ex extended or a growth was grafted onto the trunk of the tree and branches grew. One must cut off these branches and benefit from them is forbidden. The remainder of the tree, however, is permitted. Okay, similarly, when a person bows to a tree, even though the tree itself is not forbidden, it is forbidden to benefit from all the branches, leaves, sprouts, and fruits which it produces during the time it is worshipped. When Gentiles or when idolatrous Gentiles guard the fruits, um, I want to pause here for a second. When we, in this context, um, when we say Gentiles, this is a broad 
word uh, used in translation from the Hebrew. When it says Gentiles in this situation, it's not referring to all non-Jews. It specifically has to do with idolatrous non-Jews who, are, who have dedicated themselves to the worship of idols. Um, I'll do my best to make sure that we uh, mention the status uh, of what the text is referring to when we come across this word, because like I said, it's a broad term. Um, but Gentiles uh, refers to non-Jews, but again, in certain circumstances here, it means sometimes idolatrous, sometimes not. So, <clears throat> when idolatrous non-Jews guard the fruits of a tree and say that they are designated to be used to make alcoholic beverages for a particular pagan temple, and the fruits are used for alcoholic beverages which are drunken on their pagan holidays, it is forbidden to benefit from this tree. This is a ritual associated with an uh, Asherah. Accordingly, accordingly, we can assume that the tree is an Asherah whose fruits will be used for such purposes. So the tree, in other words, is, is um, planted um, and the fruits grow from it, but the tree was planted for the purpose of producing fruit for idolatry. Any question? If someone buys eggs for the sake of setting them aside for eggnog uh, to celebrate a certain holiday, does that mean the eggs are forbidden? Okay, if the eggnog is used for idolatry, like the intention is for idolatry, then that may be a problem. If the person is not idolatrous and simply drinks eggnog, because it's their custom to celebrate the holiday, it may not be a problem. But that's a touchy question uh, that I don't fully know the answer to, but that's my thought at this point, and I will bring it to the rabbi. Based on what we're looking at, I would say no, but don't hold me to it. I would say it's not forbidden, but don't hold me to it. So... Is everyone having fun yet? <laughs> it's the month of Nisan, the month of miracles. We're coming up like 13 days from Pesach. Wow. Lots of chametz to get out of the house. <laughs> okay, um... Yeah, cleaning up for infectious diseases has nothing on cleaning for Pesach. <laughs> okay, uh, Halakha number four. The following rules apply to a tree under which a false deity was placed. So basically the tree is not designated for idolatry, but uh, it's shading. It, there's an idol sitting under the shade of it. So it is forbidden to benefit from it as long as the deity is located under it. When it is removed, we are permitted to benefit from, from it since the tree itself is not the entity which was worshipped. So this kind of goes back to the idea that something that Hashem created 
or a tree that was planted for its general use uh, and not planted for idolatry, it's, it doesn't hold the status of idolatry even though there's an idol under it. Uh, we don't fool with the tree while the idol's there, but you mo- remove the idol, the tree is still a tree. So when a Gentile constructs, excuse me, when, a, when an idolatrous non-Jew constructs a building with the intent that the building itself be worshipped, and similarly, when a person bows down to a building that was that has already been constructed, they become forbidden. Um, when a building which had already been constructed was plastered and embellished for the sake of worship to the extent that it is considered to be a new entity, one must remove all the new additions and it is forbidden to benefit from them since they were made with the intention of being worshipped. It is, however, permitted to benefit from the remaining remainder of the building. Um, if one placed an idol within a house, it is forbidden to benefit from the house while the idol is located within. When it is removed, the house becomes permitted. Similarly, it is forbidden to benefit from a stone which was uh, hewn from a mountain with the intention that it be worshipped. If it, if it had already been hewn out, but was adorned and embellished with the intention that it be worshipped, even if the stone itself was adorned and embellished, and needless to say, if the adornment was added to it, one must remove all the new additions, and it is forbidden to benefit from them, since they were made with the intention of being worshipped. It is, however, permitted to benefit from the remainder of the stone. So the th- the the parts the, the part of the stone that was carved out to be worshipped and all the accoutrements that were put on the stone or around it to be worshipped once they're re- removed then the rest of the stone is permitted. Number 5 Halakha 5 a stone on which an idol is placed is forbidden as long as the idol is upon it. Once the idol is removed it is permitted. It's like the tree. Uh, so if you if you visit a place uh, that's been known as a place of uh, like a a place of idolatry, such as some type of shrine that's uh, where they put idols on top of stones. Um, if someone goes and cleans off all the idols and removes it, there uh, the natural stone that's there. There's no. It's not. It's it's not a sore. It's not. It, it, it's mutar. It's permitted for use. So it, it, it does, the stone doesn't retain any uh, forbidden qualities, if you would. Even if even if there was an idol sitting on top of it for a thousand years, it doesn't matter. Uh, once it gets the idol gets knocked down and removed, the stone is just a stone. Which you know. Um, that's something I think that's something we can uh, understand today because there there are entire cities or what do you call it places that people visit for the sake of idol uh, idol worship. Um, places in different countries uh, where there's temples and certain buildings and statues and stuff erected specifically for the purposes of idolatrous worship um, for thousands of years. 
uh, if someone was to take over that place, go in and clean out all those idols, knock them all down, the 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 stones, the ground, everything there that uh, was natural in its natural state uh, remains natural and it's not forbidden. Right. Right. The to stand there where that was and uh, to, yeah, that's not a problem to to be there at all. If there was now again though, if there was uh, like a, a house of idolatry built there, it's not permitted to rebuild it. But the ground, the stones, all that the things that are there, they're permitted. They're not idolatrous. They belong to Hashem. They don't belong to the idol. Okay, when a person's house, which is located next to a shrine of an idol, falls, it is forbidden uh, for him to rebuild it. What must he do? He must move the wall uh, within his own four cubits and then rebuild it. The empty space must not be left free for the sake of the shrine of the idol, Rather, he should fill it with thorns or feces. So a manure pile or uh, thorns or something uh, because this limits, this limits the space that can be used for the idolatry. So if the wall belonged jointly to both a private individual and an idol, it should be considered to belong to them equally. It is permitted to benefit from his half, the half belonging to to the idol, however, is forbidden. It is forbidden to benefit from the walls, stones, beams, and earth, the, the part that belongs to the idol. Uh, Halakha 6. Um, how must one destroy a false deity and the other entities which are forbidden on its account? For example, its accessories and offerings. So, uh, we just went through what basically what determines the status of objects, whether they're idols or not, whether they're permitted or not, and so on. Now it's talking about how do we take an idol and change it to the status of permitted. But um, first of all, Halakha 6 tells us how must one destroy a false deity and the other entities which are forbidden on its account. Uh, So which are its accessories and offerings. Uh, So we're talking about destruction of the idolatrous things. So it gives us a hint here that uh, destruction is how we change the status of an idol or its accessories into a permitted use. It has to be destroyed. So... How do we how do we do this? It says one must grind them and scatter the dust in the wind, or burn them and deposit the ashes in the Dead Sea. So, um, when we're talking about destroying something, the ma- the manner of destruction here is grinding into dust, and um, now the dust uh, becomes permitted because it's scattered into the wind. Um, the other option is to burn. 
burn it in fire uh, till it turns into ashes. And then when it says take it to the Dead Sea, uh, it doesn't literally mean that you have to go and visit the Dead Sea. Uh, to put something into, into the Dead Sea means that it can never be used again. So we have to put it in a place or treat it in a manner that can never be used again. Even the ashes. So um, can something, the question I have here is, can something ever truly be completely destroyed? Like uh, can, can, when you burn a piece of paper, what, what happens to the paper? We call it destruction, but what, what's really going on is the object changes that changes into something else. Um, it doesn't ever truly become destroyed. So when you burn paper, it's this is paper and then you light it on fire, what does it turn into? It turns into ashes and hot gases and it, uh, the hot gases go up into the atmosphere and the ashes go wherever you put them. But it's never truly null, uh, like made into nothing. It just changes its form. So through destroying these idols, through grinding and burning them into ashes, we're changing the form of it into a permitted status. And the way to deal with the dust is scattered into the wind. And the ashes uh, is to get rid of them as if we're throwing it in the Dead Sea. Uh, Holocaust 7, although as mentioned above, an entity which cannot be manipulated by man, for example, a mountain, animal, or tree, even when uh, worship remains, worshipped remains permitted, it is forbidden to benefit from its coatings. A, a person who derives any bit benefit from them whatsoever is punished by lashing. Um, De Deuteronomy 7.25 states, Do not desire the silver and gold which are upon them. Any coatings of a false deity is considered to be one of its accessories. So let's say uh, a stone or a piece of wood that was clad with silver or gold. Um, the gold, even though the idol is dismantled and the coating of gold or silver is removed, it's not permitted to use it because it's considered accessory of the idol. Um, it is permitted to benefit from a false deity belonging to uh, an idolatrous non-Jew who's whose deification was nullified by Gentiles before it entered the possession of a Jew. Let's see. Let me look at this again. It is permitted to benefit from a false deity belonging to a Gentile whose deification was nullified by Gentiles before it entered into the possession of a Jew. So if you have an idolater who, null who has a false deity and uh, he nullifies the deification of it, he says this is no longer an idol, um, it's permitted for them to use it for something else. But if it comes into the possession of a Jew, even though the non-Jew that was idolatrous nullified the deification of it, it is not permitted. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if it Deuteronomy states that uh, you must burn the statue the the statues of their gods with fire. So it, even though the non-Jew that worshipped it nullified the deification of it, if it becomes 
if it comes into the possession of a Jew, the commandment from Deuteronomy is that Jews must burn their, the statues of their gods with fire. So it has to be burned if it com comes into the possession of the Jew. Sir? Okay, I think we're going to get into that here. Uh, the question is, if it was made of gold, and it becomes... So, if it was made of gold, and the, non, the, the idolatrous uh, non-Jew decides to nullify its deification, can it come into the possession of the Jew and then be melted down and used for something else? Is that what you're saying? Okay, I think we're going to get into that. So, uh, this command only <clears throat> applies only if they are treated as gods uh, when they enter our possession. If, however, their deification was nullified, they are permitted. So, a false deity belonging to a Jew can never be nullified. Even if he owns it in partnership with the Gentile, it is null, its nullification is of no consequence. Rather, it is forbidden to benefit from it forever. And it must be entombed. Okay. What I did, I mixed up two concepts. Uh, so I'll go back. If the non-Jew nullifies the deification of the object, and it was nullified and then given to the Jewish person, the Jewish person can benefit from it because it's no longer an idol. So the case of the gold you're talking about, it's permitted to use it. So um, we'll finish up here this uh, with number nine, that a false deity belonging to a Jew can never be nullified. Even if he owns it in partnership with the Gentile, its nullification is of no consequence. Rather, it is forbidden to benefit from it forever, and it must be entombed. Uh, so it has to be put in the Geniza. It's not permitted for use ever again. Okay, so uh, we'll wrap it up here today and we'll pick it up next time. And um, everyone, please feel free to stick around for question and answer. Thank you for joining us.